morning, guys. Happy Mother's Day as well uh, to all you moms. I pray that your kids spoil you the best they can in the situations that we're in. And if you haven't called your mother yet, uh, you should do that as soon as we're done here today. So uh, that being said, please grab a Bible and open it up to Psalm 67. We're going to read this together and then pray. It says in verse 1, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Father, we do come to you uh, this morning and we ask that you would really speak to us and bless us in our time together in your word. Uh, Lord, I do pray that you would bring about just incredible encouragement and strengthening uh, to all your people all over the world, um, and particularly, obviously, um, to the people of GBC, the people who would be listening to this right now, God, I pray that you would speak to them, comfort them, uh, that we would be people who are shaped by your word uh, to the extent, Lord, that you are, you are given so much glory from our lives. That's our, that's our heart's cry this morning. And so we ask you, God, to guide us now, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I wonder this morning, I wonder, uh, what is it that you long to see happen in the world? What is it that you long to see happen in the world? And what is God calling you to do about it? What do you long to see happen in the world? Like, what's your heartbeat for that? And what is God calling you to do about it? Um, David Livingstone was a, a missionary to Africa, and he once convictingly said, we could say, uh, sympathy is no substitute for action. Sympathy is no substitute for action. Guys, we worship a living God who desires to see something happen in his world. And you can say that he is constantly doing something about it. See, the Bibles that we hold in our hands this morning, the Bible, it's not ultimately a story about the world. It's not even ultimately a story about you and me. The Bible ultimately is a story about God. He is the main character. And as we watch God working in the pages of Scripture, and as we even experienced Him in our own lives, we see His ongoing redemptive actions. And so it's really my hope this morning that we see then that the greatest thing that you and I can do with our time, with our skills, with our resources, our our, our finances, everything, all all of our lives, the greatest thing we could do with it is we could spend it towards His great mission. His gracious activity. Well, what is God's purposes in the world? Well, according to our passage, according to Psalm 67, His purpose in the world is to receive praise from all people in all places on this planet. His purpose is to receive praise from all people in all places on this planet. And you might be thinking right now, uh, Josh, this sermon Uh, already sounds a little tone deaf. I mean, do you not know what's going on in our world? I mean, there's many other things that we should be thinking about. And I I would say to you kindly, oh, not at all. I think think this is exactly what we need. It's exactly in moments that we are in. 
where you and I, we tend to turn in on ourselves and we lose sight of what's really going on in the world and what God's heart is really all about and what he's really up to. It's times exactly like these where we don't just hunker down as believers and try to get through this, but these are times where our eyes really need to be directed towards God and to his purposes in the world and seek to join him in his heart for all people. Uh, This is an incredible time to see God's kingdom advance in our city and all around the world. And so here's what I want us to see. Here's what we see in these seven iconic verses. First, we see why you should pray for blessing. We see that in verses one through two. Secondly, we see how to get this global heart. We see that in verses three through five. And lastly, we see how investing in God's glory among the nations is a sure investment. It's a sure investment. We see that in verses 6 through 7. So let's look at this first. Why should you pray for blessing in verses 1 through 2? Let's let's pray. uh, let's, Let's read these two verses again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Now, if you read that, just the the subscript there above verse 1, Uh, We're told in this heading that this psalm is intended to be sung. It's a song, and it should be sung to some stringed instruments, which I'm sure back in the day sounded really beautiful. And so this song, we must realize, Psalm 67, it's, it's not a new song, though. It's not a new idea. This is a, a, a cover song, you could say. It's, it's a recycled lyric from the past that's being breathed into our present. And there's actually two places in the Pentateuch that these words are are pulling from here. We find these words first in the book of Genesis when God blesses Abraham, when God plucks Abraham out of the nations and blesses him and he gives him this sort of commission in Genesis 12. He says, I will make you, Abraham, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, We also find these words uh, in the blessing of Aaron over God's people Israel in Numbers chapter 6. You you might be familiar with this. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. So what we see the psalmist doing here is he's bringing God's promises and God's desires for his people up to date, if you could say. He's He's calling everyone to pray and sing these great promises and declarations into a present reality. And that's exactly what you and I are supposed to do with God's promises. We don't merely just view them as things that were said in the past, but as they cling to us, and therefore as we hold on to these promises as well, these anchor us in our present day lives. And as we sing them, as we say them, we are breathing these truths, these timeless truths, these timeless promises of God into our present moment. And here's the big idea of these verses. Do you notice it? What are God's people praying? Well, they are praying for God to be gracious to them, right? To bless them, for for God to make his face to shine upon them. Essentially, they're praying for God's gracious blessing and favor on their lives. They're saying, God, bless us. Turn your face to us. Not turn away from us, but turn your, your favor, your attention, your face towards us. I don't know about you, but we, we love this, right? I mean, who doesn't like 
this given to us as a benediction, right? This is good. Who doesn't want God's grace and God's blessing and God's favorable light in their life? I mean, if I could see you, I'm sure all of you would be raising your hands if I forcefully asked you if you would do so, right? I mean, who, who wants this? We all do. But we got to pause here and get a clear definition, right? We often toss around words that we really don't know what we mean when we're saying them. And one of those words we could, we could easily conclude is the word blessing, isn't it? Blessing is the word that we use in a myriad of ways. When someone sneezes, we say, bless you, okay? Um, maybe uh, when someone's acting kind of like an idiot, you know, we, you've maybe heard a grandma say, oh, bless his heart. You know, we've, we've, we've heard it used in this way, but blessing in the Bible, you guys, is all about receiving approval and provision. It's receiving approval and, and provision from God. It's, it's receiving His favor, right? So, so what we do is, though, we so often dumb blessing down just to the idea of stuff, don't we? Stuff. We, we live in a nice neighborhood, and so we say we're blessed. We, we drive a, a nice car, and so we say we're blessed. We get the job that we've always dreamed of, and so we say we're blessed. Or we we get that man or that woman of our dreams, and so we say, man, I am so blessed. And if we, we view it simply as that, the opposite is equally as true, isn't it? Right? We, we say, I don't feel very successful in my workplace, therefore I'm not blessed. Or I lost my job, therefore I'm not blessed. Or, Josh, I don't have a family, I'm single, and I want a family. I am not blessed. Or maybe I, I do have a husband or a wife, yet they didn't turn out to be the person I wanted them to be, or we, we can't have children, right? So I am not blessed. Or right now we're told to stay at home and I'm stir crazy. I definitely wouldn't say that I am blessed, okay? Right? We, what we're doing is we create, we equate rather provision of what we want with being blessed or not being blessed. But what we're doing when we do that is we are mistaking provision with the provider. We are exchanging the created with the creator. Right? That's what we're doing. We're, we're making a substitution there. But blessing in the Bible is found, guys, in having God himself. So the highlight and the theme of this psalm is actually everyone's need for God, for God himself. Nothing matters in this psalm. If you read it, nothing matters in this psalm except our need for God and everybody's need for God. Right? Well, why should you pray for God to bless you. Well, what do these people pray? Why, why do they pray for God's blessing on their life? Well, if you notice, they aren't praying so that they can be comfortable or even that they could just be generally happy in life. They're, they're praying for God's blessing so that, what does it say in verse 2? That God's ways, God's salvation would be known on the earth amongst all nations. So it's, it's here that we discover what is the prayer of every follower of Jesus who is free from themselves and fully living for God. They pray for God's favor on their life, not for the sake of themselves and not even for the sake of other people, but first and foremost, for the sake of God's glory. The beating and bleeding heart of God's people is that God would be known all over the face of this globe. It's a desire for God's glory and fame to spread everywhere. That is the true heartbeat of God's people. See, the posture of God's people in these verses is first and foremost a posture of need, isn't it? 
They need grace. They need blessing. They need the light of His face. They are in want, and they know that what they ultimately need is only found in God Himself. But the aim, that's their posture, but the aim of their wanting is not simply in having their needs satisfied, but it's in the giver of the blessing to be famous in all the world. It's a cry for God to give in order that He would be put on display as an incredible giver, as a gracious Savior. Man, this is, this is the heartbeat of God's people. I, I, um, I'll never forget, I got to meet a guy named Eden Chen at a Gospel Coalition conference a couple years ago in Southern California, and um, he gave a, a, a breakout session talk on integrating your faith in your work. It was fascinating talk, fascinating guy. Um, he created a company called Fisherman Labs, which is a company specializing in apps and website development, virtual reality, augmented reality for brands and startups. And he works with huge clients, okay, like Sony, the United Nations, Disney, NBC, you know, just big corporations. And he, he, he's only, I think, 31, 32 years old now. Um, but he found himself one day on Forbes's 30 Under 30 list, which was listing out the, the top 30 entrepreneurs in the nation under the age of 30. So pretty prestigious list, you could say. And this guy, you guys, he had made so much money, uh, but life wasn't always that way for him. Right? He, was, he was a guy, he, he talked about how he grew up stealing cars and hacking people online, and then he met Jesus, he says, when he was a student at Emory University, and his life changed. Since meeting Jesus, his prayer, he said, has constantly been for God to use him in business to make Jesus' glory more and more visible. And so when he found out that he was even on this Forbes list, he said, quote, my life has been about serving people through my business and talents. I thank Jesus for giving purpose to my life. He is at the center of everything that I do. That's the same heart we're seeing here, right? I mean, here's a guy who prays for God's blessing in order that Jesus' fame would spread. Just for some examples, he wasn't just all talk, he wasn't just praying, he was, an, he was acting. He prayed for God to move him and his wife to South Central L.A., which if you know anything about South Central L.A., it's not a place that people are wanting to move. And so people would kind of ask him, you know, is South Central L.A. on the up and coming, you know, that kind of thing? And he'd say, no, we just, we want to reach those people there. Or his wife was like, I want to serve people in L.A., so she decided she's going to go and work on Skid Row, Okay. Why do they ask for these things? Why, why do they do these things? It's so that they can tell people about Jesus. They're foster parents. Why? We well, said so that we could tell kids about Jesus. He even got a tattoo um, ring uh, on his ring finger with, with a nail on it so that people would ask him, why is there a nail on your ring finger? And he could tell them about Jesus. You know, He even named his company Fisherman Lab so people will ask why. And then he could tell them that Jesus saved some fishermen and then used them to change the world. Guys, when I heard this guy talk, this is all I could think of. He has so much, and he's asking God for blessing and taking whatever God gives him and using it for God's glory, that his salvation would be known all over the earth. Let me ask, have you prayed that God be gracious to you, that God would bless you, that God would make his face to shine upon you? Have you prayed that recently? And if you do, why, why would you pray that? Why would you pray that? Is it so that he would be known in Gresham? This is so that he would be known over all the earth. Guys, this is why you should pray for blessing. This is why we pray as believers for blessing. It's so that God's saving power will be known among all nations. But secondly, we see 
Um, that this can't be lip service, right? We want to have this heart in us. How do we get this global heart? We see it in verses 3 through 5. Watch, it says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. As God's reign is universal, isn't it? And if we were wondering who the peoples is referring to, the next line tells us, let all the peoples praise you. Well, that would include everybody. That would include you and me. Right? The call for all peoples in all places to praise God is given in repetition. We saw it in verses 3 through 5. It's a repeated phrase, which often what that does is it draws our attention to that verse right between those two. Verse 4, what does it say? For you judge the peoples with equity. Maybe a clearer word for us would be fairness and you guide the nations upon the earth. And all the people should praise God because He is a fair judge, and He is the leader of the whole earth. He leads and guides all peoples. So catch this. Our hearts cry should be that all peoples in all places praise God because He is both judge and leader of the whole earth. But did you catch how people experience his rule and reign? What does it feel like, in other words, to experience God as your God? What does that feel like? For many people in our world, they think that would seem awful, right? But what is the experience like according to our passage? It feels like joy. It feels like joy, right? It says, be glad, sing for joy. Don't mutter it, right? Don't just feel some joy, but like bury it deep. Don't let it be known that you're experiencing some sort of joy. No, sing it out. Your life becomes this sort of musical of God's glory, you could say. Why? Well, it says, because for you are a fair judge. In other words, God is just. And not only is he just, he can do something about injustice. And not only can he do something about injustice, he will do something about injustice because the buck ultimately will stop with him. And you want him judging because he isn't unfair. He doesn't have half the story. He isn't lacking in wisdom. No, he is fair. He judges with equity. You and I and all peoples and all places for all time will experience the judgment of God and no one will be able to cry out on that day. That isn't fair. If we could all see clearly when God evaluates us and judges us, we would all say, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, so how in the world does that create joy? Because of Jesus, right? Because of Jesus, there's no other way. That doesn't sound joyful at all, to be judged before God, who I know I've sinned against, right? It's because of Jesus. Remember back, we already read this, but God told Abraham that in his offspring, he would bless all the families of the earth. Well, that offspring is a, is a singular word. It's referring to an individual that God would bless the families of the earth through, all the families of the earth. Right? That offspring, you guys, was realized in Jesus. And the Gospels tell us about this. Right? Jesus came and said things like, before Abraham was, I am, referring to his divinity, his, his eternal sonship, right? That, that he came, that God came and took on flesh, that he is, is the true, and he is the better Adam. He is the fulfillment of that promise. He who, who lived a life of perfect righteousness, uh, to, to where he's the only person, you guys, who could ever stand before God, in the history of the world, could ever stand before God, and he wouldn't need to cry out for grace. 
he wouldn't need God's mercy to do that. He's the only one who could ever stand before God and and receive the smile of God, the favor of God, right? Yet instead of receiving that blessing that he deserved, he willingly received our curse. He received our just judgment in our place so that now through faith in him, through his actions, through his saving redemptive actions of his death and resurrection, we can receive this new life, this grace, this blessing. We can receive the face of God and it's a good thing. And in our new enjoyment of God in Christ, guys, our hearts praise. As we we see this twofold character of God on display here in verse four, he's a judge, he's a guide, he's a king, he's a shepherd, he's a ruler and a caretaker. He's fair and he's just, yet he's the great shepherd. Guys, this is a song from the very heart and lips of God's people. It's not just some random Israelite who's singing this and no one understands why he'd be singing it. No, this is the heart of God's people. So how do you get this? Well, two ways, two ways, really, that we see in our text. First, we we get this heart when we have a heart for God and not ourselves. We have a heart for God and not ourselves. As long as I have a heart for myself, I can never have this kind of heart. Right? How many of us read this, and if we're honest, kind of through the secret and hidden desires of our heart, we want to read this. We want to read, may God be gracious to me and bless me. May God make his face shine upon me so that my way would be known on earth. So that my reputation would be known amongst all the nations. Let people praise me. Let, let everybody who ever knows about me praise me. Isn't that kind of our, our heart, if we're honest? In other words, we, we will never get a global heart or have a heart that isn't just for us until our hearts are centered on God. Well, how do you have a heart that's centered on God and His glory? Well, that's the second way. We get this kind of heart when we realize that the nations or the peoples in this passage is actually referring to you and me. Guys, we, we weren't Israelites, were we? Right? But, but somebody was captured with this global heart, and they brought the good news about Jesus to you, didn't they? Didn't they? Somebody told you about Jesus. Somebody cared way more about God's reputation than their own reputation. Right? Somebody cared way more about the glory of God than their own comfort. And they came to you in love. God had changed their heart. And they said, let me tell you about Jesus. Yes, that might have been one of your parents who lovingly told you about Jesus from a young age. It could have been a grandfather or grandmother. It could have been a friend or a roommate or just uh, someone in your neighborhood. I mean, I don't know who it was. We all have a story, right? We all heard the gospel in some way. But somebody, somebody told us, didn't they? Somebody prayed and acted and, and said, let Josh praise you, O God. And then God went and called me and you from out of all the peoples of the earth, right? And now we are people who praise God. See, when you realize that you needed God, yet God should rightfully judge you, but instead Jesus stepped in your place, you will worship from your heart, not just in a lip service kind of way. C.S. Lewis gets to the heart of this uh, in a really helpful way uh, when he writes in his reflections on the Psalms. He says this, The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising countryside, players praising their favorite game. 
praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, which I think refers to cars, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles. He's really digging deep here, right? Even sometimes politicians or scholars. Just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. C.S. Lewis is expressing what we intuitively know. We, we praise what we enjoy. I know I do. I can't help it. I annoy my wife all the time by telling her about things that I, I love, that I think she should love, you know, that kind of thing. And so in the same way, when our hearts are enjoying God, when they're centered on God because of His gracious actions for us in Jesus, that we know we are amongst the people and He plucked us out, your heart changes. Your heart changes. Finally, we see in our text not only that we should ask for blessing in order to be a blessing and not just have a certain heart, but that really, guys, investing in God's glory among the nations is a sure investment. In verse 6, it says, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall, will bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. What we have really not noticed so far until we get to this verse is is repeated here at the end. It's, it's, it's harvest time, you guys. There's a literal physical harvest that this psalm is being birthed from. Right? So God has blessed his people with a harvest, and it's called their attention not only to their material need, but now to a greater need in the world. Right? So the immediate blessing in view is the way God has provided all the material needs of his people. It says in verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. And so the amazing thing is that between the beginning blessing in verse 1 and the closing blessing here in verse 7, this psalm's entire focus is actually not at all on material blessing. Isn't that interesting? That even though there's a material blessing, it's not even about that at all. Derek Kidner, who's a commentary writer, writes, The setting of the psalm seems to be a festival of harvest home. It's remarkable how the psalmist is stirred by hopes that have no material or self-regarding element. Here... Nothing matters but man's need of God himself. Let me just look at these prayers. O Lord, let your way be known. Let your salvation be known. Let people arise to you from, or let praise arise to you from all the peoples. Let joy overflow from the hearts of the nations. Show yourself a righteous judge and a good guide. Right? But this cry moves here to a spot in the end where God's people cling to their sure hope that he will, that he will. Right? God will receive praise from the ends of the earth. God will bring blessing. Do you see this connection? Do you see the connection? They're praying for blessing so that God's ways would be known. But then in the psalm, they're saying, we will be blessed. The conclusion, God's ways will be known. The ends of the earth will fear him. Their prayers are, are basically uh, clinging to these promises that God will do this. And here's the thing, guys. If you know what's to come, you will invest in that future, won't you? At least you should. If you know what the future is, you should invest in that future. 
You should even take some risks along the way, which might be difficult for some of us, right? Um, uh, I'll, I'll come clean here and admit that I'm an Oregon State Beavers fan, okay? I, uh, I grew up wishing I had a, universe, a D1 university to root for. Growing up in Montana, we didn't have any D1 schools. So living in Corvallis for 10 years really turned my affections to the black and orange. And um, with, with that said, though, let me say that the reason there are actually Beaver football fans and men's basketball fans, I'm just going to be honest here, the reason there are some Beaver football fans is, is because we don't know the future, okay? We don't know the future. Um, if, you don't, if you're not aware, uh, the Beavers are really bad at most sports, okay? So, um, but the reason we're still fans is because we don't know the future. If we knew that the Beavers would win a national title someday, okay, but I didn't know when as a fan, I would invest as a fan knowing that day is coming. I know they're going to win, so I'll just keep investing as a fan because who knows when that day will be. But if I knew that the Beavers would actually never win a title ever, okay, like not even a conference title or anything, then you should probably lovingly say to me someday, hey, Josh, I think, I think there might be something wrong with you. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you investing in this team when you know the outcome, right? What I'm saying is if, if I know God will fully and finally do this, bless me, make his way known on all the earth. That's the right investment. That's the right investment. Let's, let's live to the great end and aim in life, you guys, right? Let's, let's live to this end. Let's end to this aim. I love uh, John Keith Falconer. He said this once. It's always stuck with me. He says, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light, right? He knows the great end, the great aim. Here's someone who is been blessed by God and says, I got one candle in this life to burn, and I'm going to burn that puppy out in the darkness instead of just in a room filled with light. I'm going to make it count. Uh, When James Calvert went as a missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands, um, the captain of the ship that was taking him there found out what he was going to go and do, you know, telling the gospel to these cannibals. And he says, just so you know, you're going to lose your life and everybody that's going with you to those savages trying to turn him away from doing that. But Calvert just replied, Sir, we died before we came. We died before we came. Guys, James Calvert, you could say, burned his candle, and he did it joyfully. He burned it in the darkness. Why? Because he experienced the call of Jesus, didn't he? He experienced the ultimate blessing of God. He knew he had God himself, and he experienced the call of Jesus to come after him and to die to himself. And you and I know this, that that's the call of Jesus. And if we die to ourselves when we come to him, that means that you and I, when we're still living in this life, we're now living for someone else, aren't we? If I'm really die, if I'm dead to old Josh, I'm still living though, so I'm living for someone else. We live for Jesus, and if we live for him, we, we have his heart, don't we? And we have a, a desire to see him praised amongst all the nations, beginning with my neighborhood. I'll never forget the story as well of this um, girl who's a Muslim who converted to Christianity, and her Muslim uncle would just brutally beat her, just beat her and tell her she needed to convert. And, and people would try to encourage her, like, hey, this needs to stop. Like, you, you should please go back. We don't like seeing this happen to you. And, and she confessed, saying, my uncle has a religion that he is willing to kill for. 
but I have a Savior worth dying for because he died for me. What a powerful thought. Her uncle has a religion he's willing to kill for, but I have a Savior worth dying for because he died for me. Guys, the gospel is that Jesus took your life of sin and shame, and he literally died so that you could receive his life and truly begin to live. Truly begin to live. The gospel is Jesus died for you, and now you and I can die to ourselves by the power of his spirit and start living towards the great end and aim in life, God's glory amongst all the nations, that all the peoples would praise God. If our candles aren't being burnt to that great end and aim in life, then ultimately we're wasting them. If this isn't enough, just consider the words of William Wallace and Braveheart when he is about to go and die and the princess, queen, whoever she was, person comes in and tries to convince him just to agree to certain things so that maybe he can live. And, and he famously says, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Jesus said something very similar, didn't he? When he said in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will, will find it. That's a, that's a present tense reality. If I lose my life for the sake of Jesus, if I'm that person who's found the treasure hidden in the field and I sell everything in order to go buy that field, that's how precious having God himself is. I actually find my life through losing it. I begin to truly live. Guys, we we might be living lives, but but are we really living lives? Are we really living lives? People call us to live cookie-cutter lives, don't they? We're told you're supposed to have a a nice upbringing, go to a good school, have fun, but not too much fun, study really hard, get a good degree, get settled into your career, maybe do further education, try to advance in your career, get married, start a family— do a bunch of soccer practices and that kind of thing, raise kids well, pay for their college, retire, relax. You worked hard, and that's kind of the dream we're given. I mean, maybe you throw in some travel and some grandkids, I don't know, but, but really it's kind of the dream that you and I are given. But the gospel is like a stick of dynamite that blows up those dreams, that, those cookie-cutter dreams, and says the bake sale is over. Jesus is worth everything. And if I have the approval of God, if I have his favor and I have his blessing, I don't need to go and try to find that anywhere else. If that is true, then game on, right? If God's glory is the glory that I care about in this world, then the cookie cutter bake sale is over. I'm going to lay down my life. You might say, how do we do this right now? You know, we are on lockdown, you know, should we be pressing pause on this sort of idea and just get through this? And I would say, absolutely not. I would tell you, first and foremost, we, need, we must begin with prayer. And that's not just a, a nice thing to say or a cop-out. We must begin with prayer. Pray this psalm. Meditate on God's glorious grace towards you. Start there. But as you pray, think about places in this world that are places that have suffered tremendously before the pandemic even hit, who've been places of suffering, as you and I are being told, we got to physically distance, we, we should be washing our hands all the time. Consider these places that people are so overcrowded they can't even do that. 
They don't have clean water to actually wash their hands. Or think about the place that we're in, how you and I have the hope of Jesus. We have the gospel right now. Even in a land where people maybe don't all believe the gospel, that's for sure. The gospel we have access to everywhere. There's parts of the world that are going through the same things that we're going through, maybe and even worse, and they don't even have the gospel. They've never heard about the name of Jesus. We want to be praying to that end. Pray for missionaries. Continue to support your missionaries. Maybe even ask God, if, if you can, to add missionaries to your support list in this life. As many, maybe you're experiencing a drop-off in their financial support. What I'm saying is, is guys, we, we do all that we can with the time, with the skills, the, the finances that we have to reach out to our neighbors, our school. We do all that we can because the call to die to ourselves and live for the fame of Jesus in this world, it's not a call that's predicated on life being normal in our perspective. God is still at work. Right? The pandemic hasn't pressed pause on the heart of God for the nations. This world is in desperate need for good news. And we have it. So let's give them Jesus. According to Psalm 67, God's purpose is to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared amongst all the peoples of the earth. That's why he created the world. That's why he chose Israel. That's why Christ died. That's why missions exist. Missions exist because the knowledge of God, the praise of God, the enjoyment of God, the fear of God, it doesn't exist amongst all the nations yet. Because he is gracious, he aims to be known amongst all peoples. And because God is sovereign, he will be known amongst all the peoples. For this, guys, for this we have been blessed. This is our prayer. This is our mission. This is our joy, no matter what the cost. Father, I do pray this morning that you would um, just awaken us to what you're really doing in the world right now, that you would cause us to not just share some sympathy maybe for people around us, but really you'd move us, Lord, to prayer, to actions where we can, and um, God, that we would desire to see a movement of your spirit, God, that your gospel would spread um, in our city and all around in this area, Lord, that we would see your church rise up and that your gospel will go forward and be delivered as the true hope that people are looking for uh, in this world. We pray that the gospel, even this time, would go forward into parts and places of the world that would never have never heard the name of Jesus. Lord, would you mobilize your people to take great risks even to do that during this time? Lord, that you would be honored, that you'd be praised amongst all peoples. I pray that would begin in our homes today. In Christ's name, amen. We just end by this, giving you this benediction from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is like an epic, epic chapter about the resurrection of Jesus. And it ends by saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because of that, therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. As may we be people this week who labor in the things of God because we know, we know those things are not in vain. Have a great week.